The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Practical spirituality. Positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Empower yourself and get inspired to build the life of your dreams. Welcome to Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James. Welcome. I am super excited to have you all here with us today. Today we are going to explore the concept of developing a life of peace every day. Peace defined as wholeness, completeness. Nothing missing, nothing broken, totality. Can you imagine, can you even imagine having one hour of wholeness, completeness? Nothing missing, nothing broken, totality. We're talking about developing a life of peace every day for the rest of your life. Yes, it is possible. I want you to get excited about that. We're bringing you the guests and the experience. To teach you how to tweak certain aspects of your life so that you can have this. Peace is not impossible. And it does not require perfection. It does not require perfection. It requires process and perspective. We bring both of those to you on the Everyday Peace Show with Dr. Zayvon James. I'm super excited about our guest that we have today. He is the host of his own show. Tell me your story. He has done over, my goodness, I can't even tell you how many interviews he's done, amazing interviews. And the thing that excites me about our guest today is that he believes that choices, your choices help you create the life that you want. Imagine that. Lines right up with the viewpoint that we have here in Everyday Peace. Richard Dugan, host of Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. His show focuses on giving you the choices and the knowledge of those choices to make your dreams come true. Richard, welcome to Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James. How are you today? I am doing excellent. I am just doing fabulous. I'm hoping that you are hearing me okay as I speak to you from the cab of my truck. Okay, I can hear you. I can hear you loud and clear. Good. Good. <laughs> cab of your truck. So, I'm well, as, as, I told, as I told your uh, uh, phone call, phone answer, I, I was at the DMV, and I uh, wasn't sure if I was going to get in and out of there. And I have to tell you that maybe the choice that I made to go at noon wasn't the wisest, considering how long it sometimes takes. But I have to tell you that as you were going to the top of the hour and all of the other fun things, the gentleman who signed me in, who gives you the number, he says, uh, are you still here? I says, yeah, I'm just waiting for my number to come up. He says, well, come here. Let me take a look. Processed me. I was back in the truck before you ever came on the air. So you want to talk about uh, synchronicity as well as the kindness of uh, strangers, as it were. That that was amazing. Wow. So this is meant to be. And we're talking about uh-huh. choices today. We're talking about choices. And it is fundamental to our to, every, to our life experience the choices that we make, 
the choices yep. that we make. And yet so many of us, and you point this out in your book, Choices, um, you point this out in your book, that um, how how important the process is for choices. But before we get into that process, I just really want to talk a little bit about you and your journey and what led you to, and, and I've read a lot of your story, and I find it fascinating to see the choices that you've made, the things that you've overcome. But tell us a little bit about, you know, what made you so passionate about developing this uh, radio program, Tell Me Your Story, where you interview people and allow them to tell you your um, their story and to share it with your audience. So let's turn the tables and give you an opportunity to tell our listening audience <laughs> a little bit about your story and what led you to become this person that's so passionate with helping people make choices. Well, it is an interesting turn of the table. I have, uh, I'm still getting used to this concept um, of being on the other side my journey, of course, um, for those who don't know, I was born and raised uh, legally blind. I had three conditions, uh, nystagmus, stigmatism, and bilateral cataracts. Of course, most people know what stigmatism is. Uh, nystagmus is the jerking of the eye from time to time, so where you can't focus, and of course, cataracts, bilateral, meaning both eyes. And I had 2,200 in my right eye, 2,400 in my left, and had lots of surgeries as a kid, wore thick glasses, carried large print books, also listened to what we now call, folks, audio tapes or audibles. I was listening to them long before they were ever called audibles. And the books that I was reading at the time, especially in high school and in the post-high school, uh, were dealing with self-help, and I had grown up being bullied in school, and at the time, it took me a while to get this into high school, I would get angry, and it took me a while to realize that they were getting exactly what they wanted from me, and that was a reaction. And I finally got to the point where I said, I've got to stop doing this. Because as long as I give them the reaction, they're going to keep doing it. So I stopped giving them the reaction. And again, in all of the books, uh, my metaphysical primer is Autobiography of a Yogi. And I've read that hundreds of times. And it's been fascinating to to follow not only his story, but the stories of other folks, including the guests I've had on my program. I never really thought that my story was all that inspiring or interesting. I joke with people saying that if my life were a reality TV show, I wouldn't watch it. Not because my life isn't interesting, but because I am too busy living my life and trying to do the things in my life I want to do to spend it watching somebody else live their life. Um, okay. I was, uh, I, I began my broadcasting career almost a, a 40 years ago, the 29th of August, 1979. And I think one of the best sentiments if you, or, or, or comments that was uh, um uh, and I'm still not using the correct words here, but one of the things that has happened to me 
The first radio station I worked for was a radio reading service for the blind and the visually impaired called Sun Sounds, Sun Sounds Radio Reading Service. And I was told about this by my college counselor at the junior college. His name was Paul Hume. And I was working in the audiovisual department at the, under, under the library at Phoenix College, uh, my hometown where I was born and raised. And he said, you know, there's a radio station and you might be interested in this. So I went there and I applied, and one of the criteria was that you had to take an oral reading test. Now bear in mind, I've been in broadcasting for now 40 years. I've written a book, uh, I've read a number of books, I've recorded a number of books when I was married to my first wife, who was totally blind. I have taken the oral reading test at Sun Sounds Radio Reading Service five times. And to this date, I have not passed it yet. But my general manager at that station told me, don't worry about it. First of all, you're very talented. You won't have a thing to worry about. Second of all, you're in very good company because professional broadcasters and uh, news anchors who would come, television news anchors, who would come there to want because they wanted to participate they wanted to support what we were doing have failed the test professional broadcasters have failed the test so don't feel bad that you have not passed it yet because look at what after 40 years what i've accomplished so you know maybe one day i'll go back and i'll try it one more time and six the sixth time will be the charm. But you know right there I hear something phenomenal Richard which is the choice to continue to take the test five times because a lot of people after the first or second fail would have given up on the test and the dream. Yeah, that is true. Uh, that is very true. And it became more a more a point of let's see if I can do this again and pass it. Let's try. I you know, I've read it I read it once, I read it twice, three times figuring okay, you know the material by now. You should be able to pass it in number four or five. And I was already working for the station. I was uh, producing uh, programs where they would come in and they would read books and magazines, newspapers. Um, I actually, one time, because the readers did not show up, there was one other person there with me, and we actually went on the air live, and I, having not having passed the test, did my very best to read the newspaper. And I probably did fairly well. Uh, you know, a few mistakes along the way, but I, I did that. Mm, it was in 1980, yeah, 1982 that I was given the opportunity to record my very first book. Not my book, but a book that I had read that had touched me, that was important to me that had been given to me by my very best friend uh, through grade school, high school, and college, and even to this day. And that's a weird thing to say that I've known him for over <coughs> 50 years. Um, <laughs> and I'm only 59. And uh, the book was entitled The Greatest Miracle in the World by Ogmandino. And I also have to tell you a sidebar. I had the great privilege in the 80s of interviewing that man. 
and I'm going to find that reel-to-reel -reel that I have at home. I'm going to transfer it digitally, and I'm going to put it up on my website. Uh, not my website. I'm going to put it up on SoundCloud, where all my other interviews are. In any event, I recorded that book in October and November of 1982. And at that same time, I met a woman by the name of Cindy Steele who had recorded a song called A Christmas Candle. And I added that to the end of the recording because I needed filler, but I also loved the song that she had recorded. And that inter that program, that uh, four-part book, aired on Sun Sounds the week of Christmas, 1982. And the last part aired on Christmas Eve with that song, which it just, I mean, it just timed out that way. Now, so there you're a lifelong, a, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, uh, well, I was just going to say that my, uh, that this young woman of 17 happened to hear the, pro, the, the book that I had read and wanted a copy of it. Well, I enjoy meeting people, and so they gave me the information. I contacted her, and I said, I'll deliver a cassette copy to you. And uh, long story short, that woman became my first wife. And that led me, of course, through a lot of other things and to my second wife, which has led me to living in Santa Barbara today, celebrating 12 years of Tell Me Your Story, and uh, now the longest relationship I've ever been in with my second wife of 21 plus years. Having been to Ireland twice uh, and a myriad of other things. All because of a choice. A choice, which is what we're talking about today, making choices. And as you're talking, um, your choice, and I think I remember that from, your, from reading your bio, was you always wanted to be in radio. And that's kind of strange, too, because when I was growing up, my father was an appliance repairman. Now, he was also a printer. He would actually, back then, they printed checks on a machine, on a printing press. But he was also an appliance repairman. And he came across different things, and he came across a turntable, and there was a reel-to-reel, -reel, and there were microphones, and... And my brother and I, from time to time, he and I, we'd play around with these, but I mostly played around with these devices, recording stuff and what have you. And um, when I was in eighth grade, we had to write that report. What do you want to be when you grow up? I didn't really think that much of it at the time, and it seems kind of strange. Maybe it was just all intuitive because the next thing I knew, I was sitting in front of a radio and television personality by the name of Pat McMahon, still on the radio in Phoenix. He was part of a kid's show called the Wallace and Ladmo Show, and he played numerous different characters. Uh, the most famous, back in Phoenix anyway, was of uh, Gerald. He was, uh, he was one of these uh, bratty... Uh, kids who came from uh, a wealthy family and privilege and so forth. But it was a very funny shtick that he did. 
He also played a superhero by the name of Captain Super. And uh, he played a, a Western sheriff. Um, Marshall Good was his name. Anyway, I managed to get a hold of the folks at the TV station, Channel 5 at the time. It was independent. Said I'd like to interview him for my paper. So I took my cassette recorder and I sat in front of him and interviewed him. And I even have a photograph of me with him uh, at the age of 12. (laughs) (laughs) And I wrote the paper and I never thought anything of it until high school when there was this gentleman who was given the opportunity to do these lunch hour radio radio things, uh, radio shows. Uh, I can't even remember if he played music or he probably did. And I kind of thought, boy, that'd be kind of cool, but I, I never pursued it. I just, you know, it was one of those things where back then in high school, the last thing I wanted to do was put myself in a position of ridicule. It was bad enough in grade school. I didn't need to do more in high school. So I stayed away from it. And um, after I graduated from high school, I took six months off, not to go find myself. I didn't travel. (laughs) I stayed home, and my mother said while ironing one afternoon, while we were sitting watching soap operas, why don't you go work for one of the religious stations? I said, oh, I don't want them shoving their beliefs down my throat. That's kind of an irony because I spent 15 years at one. <laughs> wow. And actually, I turned, I turned the tables. But it was then when I decided I'm going to go, back to, I'm gonna go to, back to school. So I en- enrolled at Phoenix College, and I took some English courses and this and that and the other. And then I got work-study Again, at, at the AV department. By the way, the slogan they had on the window outside AV was the Department of Redundancy Department. Loved it. I loved the work, <laughs> too, working with the equipment. And uh, then, of course, Paul Hume told me about the job at SunSounds, and, and I started working there. Now, the sidebar is that a dear friend of mine by the name of Ramona Richards, um, I met her. She was in her... Well, she was 45. I know that now because I know how old she was when she passed. And she just passed back in March. And um, she was very, she was into radio and television. She did radio programs of her own. She was guest on a regular basis because she she did the entertainment beat, movies, television, theater. And um, she willed me all of those interviews. I now have over 400 cassettes I'm transferring and I will also make available in due time to the general public on SoundCloud. But she was a dear friend gives, of mine. I can go ahead. This gives you a platform, and and, and I love it. I love your show. Uh, this gives you a platform to. Uh, you made the choice to use your platform to let people tell their story, and I know your show. A lot of your stories really deal with some very heavy and pertinent matters as they pertain yes. to the soul, soul, uh, the soul s. O-U-L, journey on mm-hmm. this earth, which is very, very important. And I think that ties so much into our, our our willingness or lack thereof to make choices, but definitely our ability to make choices. And I'm fascinated by your book when you talk about, you know, the process of making choices. But as I, as I talk, and I always talk, you know, I do my um, 
informal investigative sort of thing. When I meet people, I, I'll start talking to them about an upcoming topic on my show. And I was asking people about choices in their life and, you know, how how they go about that process. And people tend to delineate their life into big choices and little choices. And I found that people don't give a lot of thought to what they consider a little choice. But what they consider to be big choices, things that will be life-altering, they a lot of people have the inability to make any of those choices, and they are okay with just hanging on to see how the wind blows. Now, they've mm. phrased it so many different ways. I'm waiting on, I'm waiting on God, or I'm waiting till I get a feeling, or you know, I'm so confused, I don't know what to do. I just put it out of my head. But to not make a choice, to not make a choice, is to make a choice, right? That is true. They're still making choices, but they're not—they're not allowing themselves to get at least even in the passenger seat. If we—if we subscribe to there being a God and saying, "Okay, so God is the driver of your life," but you got to get in the passenger seat at least and be willing yes. to to get in there and say, "Okay, I choose this or I choose that." And so often, in, over this past two weeks or so, when I've been talking about this subject matter, people—they can make a choice as to what they're going to have for dinner tonight, but. Big life, you know, to get married, yes, to get divorced, that's people are stuck in that limbo for years and years and years. You know, just really pertinent decisions. I find that from my research, people are just having a hard time making. Why is that? Well, and that's that's a very good question. Why is it that people have this difficulty? And I think it's because they, we, not just they, we, I, have been programmed to almost despise the constant in the universe that is, and this is it's a paradox, ladies and gentlemen, that is never going to change. This paradox will exist, has been, has been in existence long before I ever came along, and it will be in existence long before I'm uh, long after I'm gone. And that constant in the universe that we have been taught to despise, to fear, is change. That's an irony. It really is. It's a paradox. Because I sat as a seven-year-old in mass one day, born and raised Roman Catholic, and I tried to blink really fast. I mean, just as fast as I could blink twice to make these two blinks identical. And I did that for maybe 10 or 15 minutes, and then my mind began to process, and I began to realize that my efforts were <laughs> to, to, to quote and pronounce from the Star Trek uh, Enterprise, uh, Star Trek Next Generation, uh, my efforts were futile because no matter how Fast I blinked. The universe is in movement. Every cell and atom in my body is in constant movement, and it is impossible to duplicate an action exactly the same, which means that there's been a change. And that's just what happens. So until we accept that change is good and think about that that uh, or or maybe 
rather than thinking of it as good or bad, and this is another area that I struggle with myself, and that is the whole dualistic aspect to the universe. I, I, uh, <laughs> I fight it in the sense intellectually because I, I know that from the ancient wisdom teachings it says that we are from the one and we are going back to the one. So what in the world are we doing here in this dualistic society? Well, I go back to what I remember at seven, sitting in the wooden pew at Mass after trying to duplicate a blink that would be identical to the second one. When you look at the macrocosmic world and you watch things hurtling through space as you're watching, just say, through the Hubble telescope, and, or, or even if you, if you saw that wonderful snowman through, um, I can't even remember the name of the satellite that, uh, that was sent out, Voyager or what have you. Anyway, and you see things crashing into one another. You see supernovas exploding and things happening and this and that and the other thing. And what are the words or f sounds that come out of you? Wow! Oh, man! Oh, gosh, that's incredible! How neat! Like you're watching fireworks, right? Right. Well, now go to the microcosmic world. You're looking through a microscope, and you're looking at molecules, and maybe further down through an electron microscope, you're looking at atomic and subatomic particles, and they're moving in the same fashion as the macrocosmic world. And you're going, wow, this is, this is incredible. This is pretty neat. Now bring your vision to the real world that we live in, that you see, that you touch, that you taste, that you smell, that you hear. And what happens when you see the same kind of movement and collisions and explosions and a this and that? Oh, my God! Oh, it's the end of the world! What are we going to do? Hide, run, fight! It's hitting too close to home. It's hitting too... Yeah. It's no longer... It's like, you know, wait... Yeah, it's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. But you just said it was incredible what you saw in the macrocosmic <laughs> and the microcosmic. Why is it different at our level? And yes, I think, yes, on the one hand it is, it's hitting too close to home, but by the same token, why can't we look at it from the standpoint, it, it just is. You know, you used the word perfection earlier, and I did a little study years ago when I was working for the Christian station. And it says in the New Testament, in the Gospels, where Jesus says, be perfect, even as your Father in Heaven is perfect. So I began to oh, question we're gonna have, We're going to have to hold right there, Richard. We're going to go for oh, a quick break, and okay. we're going to come back, and we're going to discuss perfection and your choices. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Create and build the life of your dreams. Welcome back to Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James. Welcome back to Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James. Richard Dugan and I are talking about perfection as it relates to you making choices in your life that will help you to create the life of your dreams. And just before the break, um, Richard was telling us about the Bible verse and the use of the word perfection, which I am, I, I've heard you talk about this before, so I'd love for our listening audience to um, hear this verse yeah. and uh, your interpretation. 
Yeah. Well, it's, it's actually less my interpretation and more the findings that I found from uh, the Old Testament and New Testament. I believe it's in Psalms, or I, I honestly, I can't remember exactly where, but I know the phrase uh, where it refers to God speaking and saying, I am that I am. Well, when I started thinking about that New Testament passage, be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect, I thought, okay, well, think about it. God, isn't e God is neither good nor bad. He's neither good nor evil. He's neither right nor wrong. Uh, and to go even further, he's neither black or white, if you will. And then I came up with, the, I, I found that passage from the Old Testament that spoke about, you know, I am that I am. And I thought, okay, what are you doing? Thank you. I have a gentleman who's in front of me trying to figure out where he wants to park so that I can park right here. In any event, <laughs> yes, you get a little taste of me. I am now at the beach, by the way, just so you know. I am now looking at the ocean. Speaking of choices, anyway, the perfection to be perfect, even as your Father in Heaven is perfect, is just to be. That's it. To End be. of story. And I, it's not my interpretation. It's the interpretation of this particular ancient wisdom teaching, this writing that is out there. And so I find that this fascinating. I'm, I'm going to stop you right there for yeah. one second, Richard, because I find sure. that fascinating that if we, and I mean the listening audience, if you, of course, you're sitting at the beach looking at the beautiful ocean, and I know you can <laughs> perceive that as this is perfection, the vastness of this ocean and all the delight that's occurring there and the beauty of that. And then someone else who may be sitting in, a situation where they deem it to be painful and they're really just trying to soldier through this moment and are yeah. are really challenged by the fact that where I am right now, where you are right now, this is where you're meant to be. There's perfection in this moment. But I hear my heart on this because, of course, I would wish on everybody the best, most desirable circumstance. But this is what I know in my heart of all hearts is that wherever you are right now, you have everything that you need to be in that moment, in that space, and in that time. Not to mean, and I do not mean that you need to stay where it's not safe or stay where you don't feel loved. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying you are as perfect. It's just like you said, be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. In this moment, in this moment, you carry within you the divineness of the one true God. And so even in the moment, no matter whether you're sitting by the beach or you're sitting in a jail cell, incarcerated, I talk about that in my book, Freedom is Your Birthright, in that, in mm -hmm. this moment, if you stayed in this moment right now, not the moment two seconds from now, but this very moment right now, this yeah. is where your peace, your wholeness, your completeness is in this moment. There may be fear waiting for you up the road. Don't go up the road before you have to. Not in your mind. Own this moment because it belongs to you. Yeah. Choice, everyone, regardless of, and sometimes in spite of, their circumstance, has choices. Now, this is where I get, I get into another area. You have choices your example you're incarcerated in a in a in a prison in a jail 
whatever. You're in a nursing home and you think you can't do anything. You don't have. You think you don't have choices. A lot of times, and it's probably 70 or 80 percent of the time, the reason you don't think you have choices is because you don't know what choices you have because you haven't received the kind of education, not necessarily formal, that would open your eyes to other and or new possibilities. And I use this as an example. People who are generationally locked into entitlement programs and then in turn go to these educational institutions, uh, primary and secondary, are not getting the kind of education that they should be getting because of their environmental interferences, among other things, including the unfortunate aspect of the deficiencies at large in our educational institutions, a primary and secondary. And we're teaching kids now more about uh, safe sex and uh, taking cover when the gunman uh, gets on campus. And you go ahead and you list whatever other issue-oriented uh, educational things that we're teaching our kids, which I'm not saying are not important. But unfortunately, they're not teaching you how to acquire the tools to build the kind of world you want, that you dream about. And to me, that is, it, it's just, I, I want to use the word criminal, but then somebody has to take responsibility. Well, guess what? Guess who gets to take responsibility? You. You are responsible, not the institution, not what you weren't given. If, if you want to change your life, and I'm in the same boat, if I want to change my life, if I'm getting sick and tired of sitting here in this truck with the air conditioning just lightly on to give me a little breeze, uh, while I'm looking at the ocean, if I want to change that to go live and sit in the truck out in the middle of the Mojave Desert, what am I doing sitting here at the beach? Why am I not getting on the 101 and heading heading east? Because I don't want to. <laughs> My choice or, is yeah, just right. that. Well, yeah, I, I agree with that, too, Richard. I do agree. People don't necessarily want what they – they don't necessarily want what they're speaking you know, so sometimes mm -hmm. we say, oh, you know, I want to do this because it's in the right company to do that, and it feels like, well, I should want that, but you really don't want that. So your actions are a better indicator of what you really want sometimes. Now, I, I think a lot of times people get frozen, like you said earlier about change, they get frozen by fear because yes. – Fear of the unknown. In order to get to the other side of the street, you're going to have to step off of the sidewalk, right? Correct. And that stepping off of the sidewalk, you know, people don't know, and of course I'm really making a general assumption here, a statement, but when you put your foot in the middle of the street, people feel like I don't know if I should, if I should 
let go of what I already have, which is sure, to pursue what I want, which is unsure, right? Trying to straddle the fence. And we know that that only can take you so far before you have to make a decision. You've got to say, okay, this is where the rubber meets the road, and this is where I make a decision. Do I choose the comforts of what I know, the comforts of what I know, or am I willing to throw caution at the wind and pursue the passion that burns within me? But think about it from another perspective. What if, what if circumstances come your way that turn your world upside down? You get a particular medical diagnosis. A fire, a wildfire uh, ravages your community. Hurricane, tsunami, earthquake. Um economic downturn and you lose your job. Now, these are things that we don't have control over. As a matter of fact, the majority of our life we don't have control over. I chuckle every time I hear uh, the phrase used when talking about the economy in these uncertain times. When have we ever had certain times? Never. Right goes back to the constant in the universe. So that's why I say that I think we've been sold a bill of goods, we've been lied to in regards to this aspect called change. We need to embrace it. We need to embrace it as much as we need to embrace both sides of who we are, both our light and our dark side doesn't mean we live there. It just means that we acknowledge that I am the person that I am today, even in that perfection of just being, because of both the quote-unquote good and bad experiences I've had in my life, if you, want to, if you want to label them in that way. They're just experiences, period. And they have molded and shaped me into the person that I am, and... What do I want to be tomorrow? When I go to work for a radio station, especially in the positions that I've worked, many times people will come to me and say, do you know what the competition's doing? And I say, I neither know nor do I care. I want this radio station to be better today than it was yesterday and better tomorrow than it was today. Not to say that today it's not good, but I want to... uh, I just want to keep moving forward. Well, we call that evolution. Well, why is that different? Why do we send our kids to school to evolve uh, intellectually? Why do we feed them so that they can evolve physically and encourage exercise and all these things? And spiritually, we do the same thing, whether it's synagogue or church or temple or whatever it is. Or in my case, after my mother said to me, Um, hey, Richard, it's time to go to Mass. And I said, I don't want to go. She said, oh, okay. Ten years later, I said, why did you say that to me? And she says, because I didn't want you to push away from the church, which I didn't. I never did. Am I a practicing Catholic? No. But I have roots that are deep. I love the ritual, tradition, and ceremony. But it goes deeper than that for me. I don't know about you, uh, Dr. Drayvon, but... I can't explain it, 
I can't really defend it, and I really don't have to, but I will say this. There's something inside of me that says my life has meaning. I don't know where it oh. comes from. All I know is that I know that it's there. Now, if my life did not have meaning, then following this interview, which I don't know what it would have been about at this point if I didn't have life meaning in my life, I could leave the truck and go out and rape and pillage and plunder, okay, because um, because my life has no meaning. It doesn't matter. It's an accident. I don't believe that. Right. Again, I, believe I don't know why I meaning. Yeah. I don't know why I believe that. All I know is that's what I believe. So And here's the thing that I know about that too, Richard, when we're talking about meaning for our listeners is that your purpose it doesn't matter how big or small you perceive it to be. They're equally important. I don't care whether you feel like your purpose is to perform um brain surgery or someone else's purpose is just to smile at people. They're equally important. There are no extra people here with any insignificant purposes. They're all significant. That's why I love your show, Tell Me Your Story, because it gives the people an opportunity to really see the significance in their life to this journey. And and again, I go back to, I, I know I use the word per- perfect, and I always say you don't have to be perfect, and I understand what you're saying, that we're all perfect, and, we, and this moment is perfect. But I think for so sure. many of us, we're looking for all of the stars to line up just right and the moon to be just right yeah. in place and this to happen and that to happen before we can make a decision because we're so afraid of making the wrong choice. But I would submit to you that you cannot make the wrong choice because it when you move with that internal presence inside of you, the universe will rise up to meet you. Yes will rise to meet you. It will carry you home because ultimately that's yeah. where all of us are traveling. Home. Think about think about this to that example. In the fall of 2005, the radio station that I was working for was purchased by a uh, Christian consortium that had ju- that was going to purchase the same station that I had worked for in the 80s, early 90s, um, at the same time. They were going to buy both stations. Now, the station that I was working for was what was called Air America. And it was a progressive, if you will, liberal, left-wing formatted program. And uh, they had told the newspapers, oh, no, 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 we're not going to let anybody go or change the format because it's profitable. It's making money. Well, I knew that they were lying because many of these Christian broadcasters adhere to a biblical passage that says, do not yoke yourself unequally to non-believers. Now, that's the first assumption that they made, was that none of us were believers. Just because we had a different uh, mindset didn't mean that we weren't believers. But that aside, I knew they were lying. And we were told in January of uh, 2006 that we were all going to be let go at the end of February, that February 28th was our last day because they were going to flip the formats and both stations were going to be Christian and so forth. Well, you'd look at that and go, oh, my God, that's terrible. That's bad. That's Oh, my gosh, what are you going to do? Well, my wife had taken a job at Scottsdale Memorial Hospital as a supervisor. She was working in a very hostile environment, got no support from her supervisors. 
was constantly getting in, having problems with her, with her uh, 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 staff. And finally, on March 1st, I'm there at work cleaning out my desk, March 1st of 2006. She calls me at 2.30 in the afternoon and says, what do you think she said? I just quit. Wow. And in my head, I was I was screaming, do you know that I'm unemployed too? <laughs> <laughs> now, here's here's the wonderful aspect of that. You think that both of those situations would be terrible. The next thing you know... We had now we had already taken out what's called a HELOC, a home equity line of credit, on the home that we owned at the time. So we had, you know, a few thousand dollars that we could use and uh, so forth. So we said, Okay, we both don't have work and where do you want to live and where do we want to go? And we thought about Ireland but we realized that our resources would be de deplete be depleted very quickly if we did that. Uh, especially considering that when we came back, if we couldn't move there, we'd have to find jobs in hot, sweaty uh, Phoenix. So because she is a Santa Barbaran, I said, let's go to Santa Barbara for a week and do some R&R&R. &R &R. So we did. And we came back from Santa Barbara, put the house up for sale. We hit the road 2 o'clock March, um, I beg your pardon, May 8th. And drove into Santa Barbara to our new home, uh, our new residence, on May 9th at 2.30 in the morning, and have been here ever since. Now, losing my job because the station was sold, my wife quitting her job because of a hostile work environment, were those bad things? Who's to say? And that goes to that old wonderful Chinese, I guess it's a proverb of sorts, that is along those lines. You know, who's to say whether it's good or bad? Right. And I so think what we if say. we can just, yeah. I mean, I just no, believe I've been in the right place at the right time for the majority of my life, and I hope that I continue to be in the right place and the right time for the rest of my life because in spite of the fact that there have been moments when I haven't really enjoyed those changes... If I wait long enough, it's going to change again, and God, who knows what doorways are going to open? Who knows what avenues? Are... I've been to Ireland twice. I didn't plan that. I, I always thought it would be fun to travel, but I never thought I'd ever be in Ireland once, let alone twice. You know, and I think those still want to go back. To by right there. When yeah, you said that yeah. you have, it hasn't always. Change doesn't always feel good. It didn't feel good when you lost your job and your wife had to step away from her job. It doesn't always feel good. But here is the thing. It's always too soon to quit. And it's always too soon to give up yes. on your dreams. Yes. So if you just will wait, if you just will hold on, if you just will latch on. See, you can latch on to anything for stress, anything that's moving in the right direction where you want to go. This program, the program after it, connect yourself to source energy where you're getting fed and your soul can anchor for a moment to give you just a little peace. So you're in your moment of change. And sometimes change doesn't feel good. It doesn't always feel good. But you, if you settle down in that moment and become aware of what you're feeling and accept what you're feeling without any shame or guilt or condemnation, you'll be able to hear from source energy within, inside yourself to guide you to the next right decision, the next yeah. right 
thing yeah. to do. Hey, pick up and drive to, you know, Santa Barbara or whatever. You know? <laughs> and, and, That's right. But at, we're, we're laughing because it's years after, but I can tell you that even though we're hearing a story of victory, I can feel it in that moment you do have that, am I doing the right thing? But you, you anchor and you trust. Yeah. You anchor well, you know, and you, you trust that all is well. Yeah. We have about we well, was, six, six minutes left, and I don't want I, I don't want to leave without te- Richard, you telling people how they can connect with you, how they can get this awesome book called Choices, how they can maybe get to tell their story on your show, and um, and we can go back, but I just want to make sure we get that in there that you can tell the guests how to how our listeners how to connect sure. with you. Well, you can send me an email, and the address is T M Y S stands for Tell Me Your Story. So T-M-Y-S at RichardDugan.com, D-U-G-A-N. So there are two Ds there, uh, T-M-Y-S at RichardDugan.com. If you would like a copy of the book at present, I am uh, making it available right now strictly for donation. Um, I, I, My firm belief, I struggle with this all the time about people saying, you ought to monetize your website, you ought to monetize your interviews. Yeah, I realize that, but I also don't want there to be a barrier between the information that my guests have to offer and those who need it. Um, Maybe one day that'll change, uh, but right now that's the case. So donation, send me an email asking for a copy. I'll send you a PDF of the book um, in exchange for a a donation of any size, uh, large or small, it doesn't matter. And uh, I will be more than happy to do that because I want you to know that in the five steps that I have written down, honestly, the most important step is the first one. We've touched upon it, I don't know how many times today. Make a choice. Make a choice. Choose something. And if you don't know what to choose then do some research, do some investigating, get some education, whatever it takes. If you've got a dream and you want it to come true, um, then you've got to do some work in that regard. Make it happen. You've got to do some work. I love it. you you got to do some work. Yeah. And here's the thing. We, we sort of implied it, but I want to say it so that any, if anybody's like me, sometimes you got to say things overtly. Uh, if you don't know how, what, what your next move is going to be, we talked about God, and, we, and Richard has brought up the scriptures, and i got to say, it's okay to go to that universal source, whatever you call it, and say out loud from your mouth to that universal source fears. I need help making a choice. And watch, yeah. watch again, the universe, watch the universe, I mean, beckon to your call. Like, okay, you ask. You know, the word of God says you have not because you ask not. Maybe you have not clarity on that particular thing because you haven't asked. And if you do have clarity and you're too afraid because you're afraid of what the choice, what the consequences are going to bring, ask for the strength and the courage to take the first step. To take the first step. Because this it's your life, my life, Rich's life, is about one choice at a time it unfolds. One choice at a time. Wouldn't you say that, Richard? One at a time. That's right. You can't we, we will get there. 
a bunch of choices all at the same time. You've got to take it slow. You've got to take it slow and allow the universe to do its thing to make it to uh, uh, help you. I mean, think about it. If I had, uh, you know, you you mentioned something about the, the situation that I had, and again, I know we're running out of time, but um, one of the things that I told my wife when she said she was she was scared was, you know, she said she was scared, and I said, well, everything I've learned from all the interviews and everything I've done over the years is, and, and this is a little different phrasing from what you said, she said she, she felt like we were on the precipice. I says, well, mm. everything I've learned says that when you're on that precipice, you do two things. You jump and trust. You jump, jump and, and trust. trust. Now, yeah. Now, when we decided to come to Santa Barbara, we decided to put the house up for sale, we decided to come here to do R&R and R, I had no fear. There was, in that period in time, with that situation that we were in, I had no fear. And I have no clue as to why, because in the past, when I had lost jobs and so forth, I was scared out of my mind. Not this we're just, time. We were just about to hear our theme song. We're about to be out of out of time, and I I think you ended with the very very appropriate phrase: jump and trust. Believe me, believe me when I tell you, as Richard has pointed out, it's all perfect. It's all perfect already. You don't need to wait for anything to like. Jump and trust. When you get that feeling, when you've prayed about it, when you've asked for clarity. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling, and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.